0: it. And he took them up into his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you, church, for your kindness to us again this morning. When October rolls around, it's a good month. <laughs> Last week, We thought about the difference between how questions and why questions. And that if we're going to be good at answering why questions, we've got to be thinking about things like intent and purpose. Habits are not bad. Traditions are very good, as long as we can keep in mind intent and purpose. We talked, remember, about singing at worship and why we do that. Group singing is getting to be more and more of a lost art in our culture, but we still do it in the church. In case you haven't noticed this morning, when we gathered to worship, does anybody remember three reasons why we sing in church? Anybody? Boy, this is... We're commanded, we're created, we're compelled. Those three, that's why we do it. And next Sabbath afternoon, there's going to be a singing event for all of us to participate in. This is not going to be uh, a more casual kind of song fest where we all choose our favorites and, and sing uh, one or two verses of, of you know dozens of different songs. Those, those kind of hymn fests are very good. But this one has been carefully planned by David, and he has put some thought into it and everything that we sing is going to be something that we've sung before and there will be stories and different kinds of accompaniment and different people leading each one so I really hope that you'll plan to participate with us next Saturday afternoon Uh, in, in anticipation of that event I had planned to continue thinking with you this morning about why we sing but instead we're gonna think about a different why question as you know Our young people are not in here with us this morning. They're across the way attending children's church. Sometimes people wonder why we do a monthly children's church worship service here in Squim when our children are such a small percentage of our worshiping congregation. I told somebody a year or so ago at pastor's meeting that we do children's church once a month in Squim, and he says, you do? Like, that's weird. So why do we do Children's Church anyway? Why do we do Adventurers? We just had this little induction ceremony for some of our young people, accepting them formally into the Olympic Otters uh, Adventurer Club. Why do we have an Adventurer Club? Why do we have a Pathfinder Club? How many of you think Pathfinders is fun? Okay, fun, all right? Two weekends ago, our Pathfinder Club went out to the West End, to all the way to the, to the coast, and they camped in the rain. Okay? How many of you like camping in the rain? Right. I mean, I, I have a hard enough time camping anyway. My idea of camping is like Motel 6, you know. But in the rain, you know. But I know that at least one adult who went camping with the Pathfinders last week, not because that person thinks it's fun. Not because this person likes to camp, because he or she does not like to camp, but this person was very intentional and went for a very specific reason, a very specific purpose. Of course, there are are some very fun things about Pathfinders and Adventures and Children's Church and Vacation Bible School. We're gearing up to do this VBS in the evening, one, one week a month for five months, and the theme is going to be based on trains and the message is going to be that Jesus has the power to pull us through, and we're going to have all this stuff dealing with trains. My next-door neighbor was the president of Burlington Northern Santa Fe Line. Before he retired, he's going to come, and he's going to tell train stories. There's going to be, you know, stories about Jesus and games and food, and Darlene has begun to decorate, and Beth and Pam are planning the meals, and Bill Needham's building out I want to say a life-size, but a big train that's going to be sitting up here in the front. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. But fun isn't the reason we do it. Fun is how we do it, hopefully. If it's fun, the kids come. But we don't do adventures just to have fun or to kill, kill time or to keep our kids occupied for a couple of hours so their parents can go and have some adult conversation somewhere. And why do we have why do we run Peninsula Adventist Elementary School? You ever think of that one? It costs huge amounts of money and effort and enormous outlays of 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 human work and volunteer work to run a school. The operation of of our school up there on the hill, that way, I guess, is the single most expensive item on our church budget. It is. Did you know that? I mean, it costs a lot to staff children's divisions at church and run first rate engaging children's ministries. And there's really only one answer to the question why we do it. Why, when it costs so much money and so much effort, and that is because children matter. They matter to God, and so they matter to us. And they matter specifically in terms of eternal destiny in terms of salvation, in terms of membership in the kingdom of God. So it's our responsibility as adult followers of God to help children develop a God-centered perspective on life, to develop a biblical-based worldview, and to help them become followers of Jesus in their own right. It is our responsibility, all of us here, to lead them, to choose, to honor God, and follow him, and love him, and serve him. doesn't matter if there are a lot of them or only a few. We have to do that. We must do that. And sometimes that means to voluntarily traipse out into the woods and go camping with them in the rain. Sometimes it means learning how to become better leaders so that we can have a little more influence with our kids, a little more credibility with them as they are developing their worldview and eventually choosing their destiny. Sometimes it means up giving up time, that we'd be rather be, you know, spending on ourselves, home watching football or doing whatever it is we do, than to come and help with a program. Now, one more question, and it's got a fairly obvious answer too, but I will ask it anyway. If a person is going to invest themselves in something... Uh, or their means into something, if a person is going to put time and money and effort in, would it be better to go for a good rate of return or a mediocre rate of return? What do you think? Not a good rate. I mean, people don't buy stock if they think it's going to crater, do they? Or if they think it's just going to limp along? I mean, people don't put money in a bank at half a percent if across the street the bank is paying five percent. That's That's just a no-brainer. Well, the same kind of question and the same logic of reasoning applies to how we invest ourselves in the kingdom of God, how we allocate our resources. We want to maximize our rate of return to get the most bang for the buck, to make the biggest impact possible. And guess what? The maximum return from a kingdom of God perspective comes from working for kids. It does. A few years ago, one of America's foremost researchers on American religious belief and behavioral patterns uh, verified this and he wrote a book on it. His name is George Barna. A number of you have heard of him. Put your hands up if you've ever heard of George Barna. He was, yes, he's getting older now, but he is quite well known in America. He explains what he discovered in a book called Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. And a lot of what he says really is not rocket science, it just makes sense. He says, for example, that if you want to have a lasting influence on the world, you've got to invest in people's lives. And if you want to maximize your investment, you have to invest in those people while they're young. That just makes sense. But because he's a researcher, he now has the data to show that it is true. And I'll share some of that with you in just a moment. But a couple of thousand years ago, before George Barna, Jesus said essentially the same thing. And three of his kingdom biographers remembered him saying it and wrote it down. Heidi just read it to us from Mark's account. Normally, we think about this little story when we're doing a baby dedication. But today, I'd like us to remember the primary lesson that it teaches that a church that invests itself heavily into turning children into followers of Jesus is a church that will maximize its investment in the kingdom of God. All of you who invest in lives in, in the all of you who invest in children's ministries today or who are working with kids, either by effort or time or financial donation or by prayer, you will see the fruit of your investment blossom for decades into the future and then into eternity. So here's the story. Mark writes, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. Notice a couple of things right off. Mark says, people were bringing little children to Jesus. Well, first of all, it wasn't just mothers bringing their babies to Jesus, as we so often assume. The genders of the pronouns in the phrases that follow are masculine. What does that tell us? It tells us that the fathers were involved, too. The fathers, too. Mothers and dads. Second, the phrase little children has often been interpreted to mean babies or, at the most, toddlers. And we think, well, how cute is that? Jesus is blessing the little babies, but it doesn't necessarily mean that either. In Mark chapter 5, which is one of the most touching uh, stories that Mark tells in his biography, is is the story of uh, Jairus and his daughter. Jairus, you might recall, was the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum. A ruler of the synagogue was a man chosen to care for the building, to make sure that everything was in place for the worship service. We would think of the synagogue ruler in our terms as a deacon or maybe a head deacon in the church. Jairus knew Jesus because Capernaum was not a big place and Jesus spent lots of time there. And because uh, his daughter was lying sick at home and dying, he came and he pled with Jesus to come and heal her. And immediately, Jesus set out for the man's home with a crowd that was following. But on the way, he was interrupted by a woman, an anonymous woman, who sneaks through the crowd and attempts to to be healed by just touching the hem of Jesus' garment, which probably means she was down on her hands and knees. And when that happened, Jesus stopped. And when he stopped, he became delayed. And during those few minutes of delay, the little daughter of Jairus died in her home. And so some men came from Jairus's house, and they told him, it's too late. She's dead. Jairus, of course, was heartbroken, and he gave up hope. But Jesus, you remember, was undeterred. He proceeded to the house. He ignored the crowd of mourners that were gathered there, wailing and causing all kinds of commotion. He took Jairus and his wife And Peter, James, and John, and he went into where the dead girl's body had been laid out and washed prior to burial. And he took the girl by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha cum," which translated means little child arise. And she did. She woke up from death. She opened her eyes. She stood up. And that phrase that Jesus used, little child, it is the identical term that Mark uses here in chapter 10, where the moms and dads are bringing their little children to Jesus. Only in Jairus' story, Mark will tell us that the girl was 12 years old. She was not a toddler. She was not a baby. Rather, she was on the very cusp of young womanhood. So the picture in Mark 10 is a bunch of parents, mostly dads, bringing youngsters to Jesus who could have been as old as 12. They are bringing their kids to Jesus. Maybe they are even interrupting him. In fact, if you read it carefully, it's not only the parents bringing their kids, it's older kids bringing younger kids. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Because They really liked Jesus, that's why. He was fun to be around. He would engage with them. I brought a brand new book home from the library this week, Squim Library. They always have some interesting new books uh, on all kinds of topics, but there's always some on Christianity in there. And I brought home a book entitled, They Turned the World Upside Down. And I ran across this description in the prologue of the book. All right, listen to this. The author writes, and I quote him, During his earthly ministry, Jesus was a jungle gym for the young. They climbed all over him, rolled in the grass, played tag. The disciples would watch in wonder as Jesus would carry one of their children on his shoulder. Isn't that a wonderful picture? It is. So all these youngsters are mobbing Jesus. And not just because he was fun but because they want Jesus to lay his hands on them and pronounce a blessing. But then what happens? The old disciples rebuke them. Yeah, the the ordained leaders of the church of the day. Yeah, they want to keep the kids away from Jesus and the parents away from Jesus They are not only trying to keep these children away from Jesus, they are reprimanding them for trying to get close to Jesus. Why are they doing that? Well, to answer that question, it helps to remember the way that we think about children today, the value our society places on them today is a relatively new thing. In the days of Jesus, children didn't have very much value at all by and large. Some of them had value in their parents' eyes, of course. I mean, Jairus loved his little daughter, right? But in general, the ancient world was a status-oriented world. And in many respects, it still is, is it not? But in the ancient world, children were at the bottom of the social ladder. The word for children in both Latin and Greek is the word that is translated not speaking. It was a culture in which the children were to be seen, but never heard. In fact, here's a little experiment for you. Go home this afternoon and think of all the stories in the Bible where it mentions children speaking. Think about that one. I, uh, I found that there were not many. The only one that I could think of right off was Little Maid. The slave girl of Naaman, the the Aramean army commander. It's the only one that I could think of right away. And we don't even know for sure if she was still a a little girl. She might have grown up by the time she spoke. But children were considered by the ancients to be liabilities, not blessings. Here's how the Greek thinker Plato wrote about them, and this is in passing. He says, uh, a mob of motley appetites, pains, and pleasures one would find in children, slaves, and women. Children, slaves, and women. It's clear who counted in those days. Men. Yeah, certainly not children. Children were noted for fear, for weakness, and for helplessness. Pliny. You remember Pliny? We met Pliny last week. Remember when we, when we had the quote about the worship service? Uh, he was Pliny the Younger, governor of Bithynia. There was another Pliny, Pliny the Elder, He was a philosopher. He was a friend of the emperor who lived at the same time Mark lived, and he wrote uh, at the same time that Mark wrote his gospel. Pliny the Elder said things like, None among all his animals is so prone to tears as a child. They're just a bag of tears. To be a child in Rome was to be equal to or even less than the animals. In the Roman world of Jesus' day... Children were often a burden to their parents, and so they were often unwanted. Unwanted children were often just left to die. Unfed, uncared for, a practice known as exposure. And this practice was actually quite widespread throughout the whole Roman Empire in the days of Jesus. The male head of household, the Familius, under Roman law, held the legal right to decide life or death for all infant members of his family. Usually, but not always, that decision was made within the first eight days of a child's life. Plutarch, another ancient historian writing at the time of Mark, said that before a baby was eight days old, it was more like a houseplant than a human being. Kind of sounds old. A lot like the way a lot of people today think about unborn children, does it not? The most common reasons to expose a child in those days would be if the family lived in poverty and just couldn't afford another mouth to feed, or if the family was wealthy and they didn't want the estate to be diluted or divided up, or if the child was of questionable paternity, or if the child was the wrong gender, of which there were only two in those days and 99% of world history, and the wrong gender was always the female gender. Abandoned children were often left on a dump or on the dunghill. Almost always they died, but sometimes they were rescued, and when that happened, they became slaves." One writer says this happened, the the rescue and becoming a slave, so often that hundreds of ancient names of slaves have been uncovered as they've been digging through the the ruins over there. Hundreds of ancient names of slaves are variants of the Greek word kopros, which is the word for dung. Babies that were deformed were often dispatched by drowning. Let me just interject here. It's not a whole lot different from our culture today, is it? Yet we think of ourselves as so woke, so concerned about the marginalized classes, I mean, we are coming up on the 48th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and there were three-quarters of a million unwanted babies aborted last year in America. This is not first-century Roman Empire we're talking about. This is 21st-century America. And we know that it is not unusual for a baby to be born during an abortion and not die and be just left until it does die, or to be thrown out with the garbage, or to be killed outright. Not a lot of legal value placed on the unborn or the newly born in some circles, even today. But in the days of the Roman Empire, guess which people were were opposed to the practice of exposure? Guess which ones? It was the Jews it was the Jews, because they knew that human dignity came from being created in the image of God. And they knew that babies were not the equivalent of houseplants because they reflected that divine image and were intended by God to be blessings, not bothers. And it was the early church, by the way, which began the practice of building orphanages to rescue and care for the abandoned and the unwanted children of the day because Christians understood that inherent dignity of human beings comes from being created in the image of God. Nevertheless, The idea that children were somehow of lesser value, of lesser dignity, of inferior status, infected the culture. And it had infected the thinking of even the closest followers of Jesus, at least to some degree. They rebuke these these kids for coming to Jesus. They rebuke the parents for bringing them. They figured Jesus' time is too valuable to be spent on children who don't really matter, who don't matter near as much as the adults, and especially adult men. His work is too important to be interfered with or delayed by kids, so they try to keep them away so that Jesus could focus on the people who were of, of most importance. They were often thinking about who was of most importance, weren't they? Aren't we? But when Jesus saw what his followers were doing, Mark says, it made him indignant, indignant. Indignant is how you feel when you are publicly insulted or shamed or humiliated. When your dignity as a human being, your worth has been called into question. Indignant is how you feel when you discover something very unjust going on, and it makes you mad. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is described using this word. He's indignant because what his followers have done is unjust. So, just as his followers have rebuked the parents and the children... Jesus now rebukes his followers. Verse 14, he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. In other words, listen up, fellas. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Just stay out of the way, guys. Don't block them, because if you get out of the way, they'll come. You think kids are the least important, but guess what? They're actually the most important. Why? Because maybe they are the most receptive. Because maybe their hearts are more open. Because maybe they are the most willing to believe my gospel and my good news. Maybe they are the most willing to trust me, the most willing to receive my kingdom with no strings attached. Doesn't it seem to you that Jesus is saying here that children will naturally be drawn to him, to the principles of his life? That they will just naturally come unless they are deterred, unless they are taught to reject him unless they are educated to be skeptics otherwise they just they just come it's just natural they respond Now, people who study psychology know that the moral and spiritual development of a child starts very early on, way before age two, and that most moral foundations are pretty much in place by the time a kid reaches ten. Some people say it's much younger than that even, three or four. After that, after that, it requires significant effort to redirect. That means that anyone who wants to influence a person's moral and spiritual foundation has the best success when the person is young. George Barna found the same thing is true from a statistical standpoint. The best years for choosing Jesus are the young years, the early years. He discovered that the probability of becoming a lover and follower of God decreases as age goes up, let me say that again, the probability of becoming a lover and follower of God decreases as age increases, you want to know the hardest people in the world to work for, old people, it's really true, it's it's difficult. The older a person becomes, probability drops off. It gets less and less likely that a person will choose to follow God the older they they get. He found, Barna did, that kids 10 years old and younger have a 1 in 3 probability of choosing Jesus. We'd say, well, that's still not too good, but it's 1 in 3, all right? 33%. By the time a kid has reached age 19... That probability has sunk to one in 20. Five percent. Adventist researchers, the ones who compiled the value genesis study a decade or so ago, they found the same thing. So, with what age group do you think you'll have the biggest impact for the kingdom? It's not rocket science, it's with children. Now that doesn't mean that God does not work among adults. It does not. We, we baptized a lady here uh, two years ago. She was an older woman, uh, almost into her 80s, and she just became convinced that God was real and she fell in love with Jesus and we baptized her and uh, she moved away to Las Vegas and has since passed away. But it's, she, she came into the kingdom as an older person. That is very, very rare. It doesn't mean that God does not work with adults. He does. But in the business of transforming minds and, and 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 winning hearts, he is in that business, irrespective of age. In fact, anytime anybody chooses to follow Jesus, no matter how old they are, it is evidence of a miracle that has just taken place. It is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working because we don't choose to follow Jesus. We are led to choose by the work of the Holy Spirit. We make the choice eventually. That is true, but God is the one leading. We don't find God; He finds us. You see, but as a kid grows up, the cement begins to set. You know, a young child's mind is like wet cement. There's a window in those early years when the cement is is. Uh, Uh, pliable it can be molded but as a kid grows up that cement begins to set and the older older a person becomes the harder the cement becomes and so the harder it is to believe and accept as true new ideas new ideas like the gospel like the idea that God is real that he has made us that we are not just random cosmic accidents and freaks of nature and that he loves people and that he is good and that there is an enemy there's an enemy loose on this planet bent on destruction and and ruining destinies ideas like jesus who was perfect and innocent died in my place because i am imperfect and guilty and just by believing in him, by trusting in him, and only by trusting in him, we are brought into a restored relationship with the God of the universe and will live with him forever. Those are, are ideas that are easy to grasp as children, hard to grasp the older we get, you see. After, their, after people's minds have been filled with stuff that is not true or lies about God Or skepticism their whole life long, or television, or video games, or whatever it is else that we put in there. Or if the truths of God have just never been implanted in people, it's hard for them to accept when they get older. It's not impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. It just takes a lot more time and effort. The return on investment is very, very lower. It's very much lower. And that's why children matter. That's why. That's why Jesus says, don't hinder them. And that's why we have programs like Pathfinders and Adventurers and Children's Church and VBS. They're not just add-ons to a church's mission. They are not just loss leaders. They're not just hooks, you know, that by, by getting the children, we can somehow get the parents to come too. And the parents are the, one who really, the ones who really do matter. Kids count in their own right. And they will naturally naturally respond to Jesus if they are taught well. They will respond easier than their parents will. And that's why I'm proud to belong to a church like this one that continues to allocate so many resources to children when they seem to be in such short supply around here. They are in short supply, aren't they? yeah. I mean, if you live over in the I-5 corridor where people are moving into by the dozens, young working families, I mean, the children's divisions are bursting at the seams. Not over here. But I'm proud to belong to a church that invests in the talents of its people, some of its finest ones, into discipling children. It's not a punishment to work in the primary division. Right, it's really not. It's not a. Uh, it's not some kind of a demotion or junior grade assignment to work with juniors or kindergartners. It's a privilege. It's an honor when you lead children. It's an investment with a maximum rate of return because children matter. And by the way, you know that uh, a lot of what Colette does around here is with children, right? Not everything, but much of what she does. The lion's share. And just a couple of weeks ago, she was giving a Bible study to a little group of some of our young people here, and one of the kids said to her, "This is just, this is just wonderful." She says, "I love Jesus so much, and I can't wait for my baptism." Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Usually, you've got to beg people, don't you want to, don't you want to give your heart to Jesus? You know, this this young person, I just love Jesus so much, I can't wait. For my baptism. See? And that's why we devote such a large part of our budget to working with young people. Now, you parents of older children, maybe you have kids who once seemed to love Jesus and they don't seem to love him so much anymore, right? I have some of those in my family. Guess what? That early on God-centered worldview they developed when they were still in the wet cement stage it's still there it's still there and God can use that and he will use it because he loves them he loves them Mark says Jesus took the children in his arms he put his hands on them and he blessed them imagine that He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows his time is running out. The cross is looming, but he's taking time to pick up these little ones in those strong arms of his, put his hands on their little heads, and bless them, telling them that they matter, telling them that they have a place in God's kingdom, you know, in a spot in God's great heart of hearts, telling them, God loves you. God loves you. And he does. So this morning, I just want to finish up by saying thank you to all of you who spend time working with young people or who support it with your prayers and your pocketbooks. Thank you for what you do here. Um, It's so easy for people to be tempted to think that what we do with adults is the real ministry and what we do with children is somehow a, a kind of ancillary ministry a not quite as significant ministry, but it's not. It's a critical ministry, and if you do your work well, if you are faithful, if you invest your life, you will make an enormous impact in the kingdom of God, an impact that you may not live long enough to see, but it will last for eternity. And because many of our children's ministries workers are over in the fellowship hall right now, what I'd like you to do is this. Thank them for what they are doing with the children. Would you do that? Do it today. This afternoon, there'll be an Adventurer Club meeting. Why not tell Kathy or Jay or Colette that you appreciate what they do? And by the way, we need another staff member in the Adventurer Club, we need four, so if any of you might like to work with kids, maximize your investment, talk to Kathy. I'm sure she would love to have another helper. Pathfinders met last Thursday evening. I, I arrived for the tail end of that meeting. Uh, let me tell you, it was a big group of kids, Pathfinders. There was a lot of energy happening there. That's code language for you know what it means, right? A lot of energy among kids. Um, Pathfinders is not always fun and games, but it's honorable work. So tell Twyla and Karen and Lynn that you appreciate it what they do with Pathfinders. Pathfinders could use a male leader, by the way. We need a male counselor in Pathfinders. doesn't matter how old you are. If you're a man, they would love to have you. So think about that. And give Michael and Elizabeth and Jackie Jager a thank you as well. They work in Children's Church. Stop in one of the divisions next week on your way up the hall. Poke your head in. See what's on the bulletin board. Tell, tell the division leaders that you appreciate what they do, that you hold them in high esteem. Because kids matter. They really do. All right, let's sing, and then we're going to be finished because they're already finished over there, and they're waiting for us, I'm sure.